Hey everybody, I'm Mike McDonald. My buddy Jesse Stratton loves some of the cheesiest movies ever made. He spent years telling me about them all, so now I'm finally watching these movies for the very first time. This is our podcast where we break those movies down together. This is the Celluloid Dumpster Fire. Hey everybody, welcome back. This is our Christmas episode. And we are discussing the 1996 Christmas comedy, Santa with Muscles. (laughs) Yeah, that pretty much sums the whole movie up right there. Uh, A little background and shit, you know. All right, I'm I'm kind of a a wrestling fan. Yeah. And, you know, we've already had uh, a Christmas episode with a wrestler. Yeah. So let's go full hog and do it again. Do it with the wrestler. Yeah. <laughs> the most controversial wrestler in wrestling. Yep. Terry Bola, the Boleo. So this movie is about a self-made millionaire who gets amnesia, is convinced he's Santa Claus, and saves an orphanage. No cliches there at all. Oh, hell no. This thing could have been filmed like in the golden era of Hollywood and probably still made the same amount of money. Yeah, yeah. Like Charlie, you put Charlie Chaplin in Hulk Hogan's place, and it's same movie. Exactly, exactly. Probably it'd probably be a better movie. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> the movie won a number of honors that no filmmaker really wants to claim, including ranking number forty-three on Total Films list of the fifty worst children's films of all time. Yep. <laughs> Um, so it was even bad at being a bad movie. It didn't even rank in the top five. It was like in the bottom 10. Yeah. Uh, it also ranked number three on Atlantic City Weekly's list of the 10 worst Christmas movies. <laughs> Atlantic City Weekly was one of those uh, free weekly news magazines, kind of like the Nashville scene. Yeah. They shut down all of their operations in April of this year, but. I was able to find this list online. You want to hear it, Jesse? Oh, hell yeah. Okay, so here are their 10 best Christmas movies of all time. Number 10 is Prancer. Okay, I can uh, see that. Geared to make grown men cry. It's about the daughter of an impoverished farm- farmer who finds a wounded reindeer that she believes is part of Santa's team. Yeah, they made us watch that in school for some reason. Oh, geez. You know, it's like one of those days during the holidays, they just bring out the the cart and they're like, oh, we're watching Prancer. All right, I'm drawing. See you guys later. I'm checking out. (laughs) Number nine, I've never heard of, but I think I want to watch it. Hebrew Hammer. Oh, I love that movie. The story of Mordecai Jefferson Carver, an Orthodox Jew who must save Hanukkah from the clutches of Santa Claus's evil son. They used to play that on Comedy Central, like, Every uh, Hanukkah. Number eight was Home Alone. Great movie. Number seven, A Christmas Story. Yeah. Dragile. <laughs> I, I, like, I love that movie, but like I've seen it so many times. So it's many like, times, yeah. It's burnt out. Number six, Scrooged with Bill Murray. Classic movie. Number five is Elf. Yeah. Can, you, can you believe it's been 20 years since Elf came out? I try to drink. To forget that, that I'm yeah. old. Yeah, no, it hurts. Because I, I remember when that guy first got on SNL, and I was like... Right. Yeah. 
Number four, The Nightmare Before Christmas. I love that movie, but I'm starting to get tired of it. Yeah, a little bit. Number three is Die Hard. Fucking A. Number two is Bad Santa. Hell yeah. And the best Christmas movie of all time, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, no, nah, that is classic. Because it's National Lampoon, you know, so. Yep. You know what they're doing. That's it. Now, here's their 10 worst movies. I bet I've seen all these movies. I bet you have. Number 10 is Reindeer Games. Yeah. A movie about a casino heist and identity theft. That was one of those movies that if the director got to make the movie he wanted, it could have been great. Yeah. Number nine, Elves. I love that movie. Trapped in a department store, a woman discovers she's the focus of an evil Nazi experiment involving selective breeding and summoned elves. Uh, yeah, no, that, that, I mean, that's the movie, but that's it's got, movie. Like, I mean, it's got that guy that was like everybody's uncle truck driver. Oh, okay. He's the main guy of the movie. I can't remember his name now, but he, God, that guy's been in so many trashy movies. Yeah, I love that movie. That's a great movie. The eighth worst Christmas movie of all time, Ernest Saves Christmas. Yeah, that was one of his shittier ones. I mean, he had already been scared stupid, gone to camp, joined the army, and gone to jail. Yeah, that was that one was like the pinnacle was Saves Christmas. That's where yeah. it, it plateaued. And then if you ever watch like the last four, like there's three or four after that. Right. And it, they're like, oh, God. Yeah. Especially when they filmed at college. Ernest goes to college. Oh, God, don't, don't ever watch it. <laughs> it was nothing at all like Billy Madison. <laughs> more like uh, the nutty professor or some shit the seven number seven worst movie is one we talked about it was our first two christmas specials santa's sleigh well you know i love that movie i do too <laughs> oh yeah number six jingle all the way that, that i don't know to me that that's like a modern classic it's gonna be like uh what was it a, a christmas story or whatever yeah like that'll be that'll replace that on TNT and shit, you know. It'll be just chill yeah. all the way, right? Yeah. Number five, Jack Frost, man, Which, dies in a car accident and comes back as a snowman. I almost picked that for. I'm, I might save that for next Christmas. If we're okay, still around. that's a good one. I, that one almost got picked this year. Okay, number four on the list of worst movies: Silent Night, Deadly Night. Number three, Santa with Muscles, the one we're <laughs> talking about today. Sorry, folks. Number two, this is one we need to add to our list. Santa Claus Conquers the Martian. Oh, God. The people of Mars need someone to give presents to their kids, so they kidnap Santa Claus to do it. Also, one of them looks like Satan or something. That one's a weird (laughs) one. I've seen it a couple times. Uh, The Mystery Science Theater version and, like, Unrift, like the original. And, yeah, it's just fucking weird. Man. And the worst Christmas movie of all time, and the man who the man responsible for it agrees, the Star Wars Holiday Special. <laughs> oh God. George I Lucas want. never wanted anybody to see that movie again, but it's on YouTube forever. I watch it like every Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, with a nightcap or like some beer, and I'll watch that put that on. Yeah. Uh it's really sad. <laughs> I could I could talk about it for like nine hours straight, but it's really sad. That's the only one that goes to the Wookiee homeworld, right? Yeah, well, 
No, I mean, later on, you know, you started adding shit, but it was the first appearance of Gishak, yeah. Okay. All right. No, wait, hold on. We're getting on the Star Wars special. The first hour of it, it's just the Wookiees on their home planet in their little treehouse. Right. And they're speaking Wookiee, right? Right. And there's no subtitle. Oh, God. Mike, there's no subtitles. That's just horrible. Growling and fucking, yeah, no. And then I mean, there's like home. seven people in the world who can speak Wookiee. You need to put subtitles on that shit. <laughs> I know, right? And that was it was it was shown live on television. You know, oh, I mean, geez. it wasn't live; it was recorded and then put on television. Well, of course, but, it wasn't yeah. live. Wookiees aren't real. <laughs> <laughs> but I digress. Yeah. Now, for our Star Trek fans or Star Wars fans out there, there's a lot of Star Trek in this movie. Yeah. Uh, but for our Star Wars fans, there is an Easter egg late in the film. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> I did not forget about that, and I loved it. It was great. I couldn't find budget info for this movie, but you can bet it was at least a million dollars. Oh, yeah. The movie ran in theaters for two weeks, and it made 220000 These are these, uh, like, shady movies that... You know, well, and this still goes on, you know, but it's like you get a wrestler. Yep. You film the movie real quick. You release it direct to video or direct to streaming. Right. And then you get the money and then you immediately change the name of your company and do it again. Exactly. <laughs> and man, back in the day, this these were loaded up in movie gallery, like action and kids. You just it was a wrestler, you know. A couple right. of horror, you know, you got a couple of horror out there, but it was mostly action and little kids movies. Right. And I mean, this the- was after uh, Mr. Nanny. This was after Suburban Commando. Great movie. So there was some there was some idea of whether Hulk Hogan could actually act. And I think we all know the answer was not maybe. <laughs> but yeah, this was this was nowhere near as good a performance for Hulk Hogan as those other two were. Yeah. No. The movie's rated PG runs for an hour and 37 minutes, but feels like so much more. Yeah. Oh God. And they had these shit out of it with montages and shit. There are a lot of montages and chase scenes. Yeah. Oh God. The whole movie's like pretty much a chase scene <laughs> bookend with montages. You might get a little bit of exposition there. You're like, because, oh, the orphanage, you know, we need money. And then, right. Bam. It's got a 0% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes. John Layden of Variety said, working from an irredeemably bland screenplay, John Murlowski directs with all the enthusiasm of someone going through the motions to pay off a debt. <laughs> I'm sorry. That, He's on the money. Spot on and, yeah, spot on and funny. <laughs> so, directed by John Murlowski, he did the direct-to-video Amityville A New Generation. He also did sucked. Richie Rich's Christmas, Christmas Wish. That movie sucked. And Contagion. It probably sucked. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to give him the benefit of doubt, yes, it sucked. I like to be like it. He also made a string of cheesy Christmas rom-coms like A Golden Christmas, which is a Christmas version of You've Got Mail. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Christmas Mail. He also made a string of direct-to-video and TV movie thrillers like Killer Caregiver, Killer Contractor, and Picture Perfect Lies. 
the the Christmas rom coms, uh-huh. you can tell because in this movie, it feels like you're watching like something on the Hallmark Channel around right. this time of year, right? And then all of a sudden, there's a goofy ass like guy slipping on a banana, and there's a wrestler there being stupid. Exactly, and here's why. This movie was written by three people who never wrote anything before or since. Uh, the movie is full of future That 70s Show alumni and folks who had appeared or would later appear in various Star Trek series. Yep. Everybody's like a union guy and everybody's going to go off to do bigger things because this is just a shitty stepping stone to something else. Yeah, this is this is your your paycheck to get you through to the next show. This is rent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Movie stars Hulk Hogan is Blake Thorne. And as I said, this was after Suburban Commando. It was after Mr. Nanny. It was after Thunder in Paradise 1, 2, and 3. And the TV show. <laughs> this same year, he appeared in Baywatch and Spy Hard. His next film appearance would be as Dave Dragon in Three Ninjas. High Noon at Mega Mountain. Which, that's a superior movie to this one, but I think it is because budget and talent. You know, like, people writing it, people producing it and shit. And this movie that we're talking about was 1996. His film career would end in 1999 with Muppets from Space. And that's a bit part. Talk about going out on a, on top, man. That was a good one, though. I really liked that one. Like they, <laughs> they focused on Gonzo instead of the rest of the losers. Right. I was always a Gonzo guy, so I was like, hell yeah, finally representation. I always loved Pigs in Space. That was my one of my favorite yeah, no, sharks was, of the Muppet Show. That was great. I love the Muppet Show. Don Stark as Lenny, probably for best known for playing Donna's father, Bob, on that 70s show. Yeah, and he was in a bunch of like, he was like in Lords of Flatbush, which is like. Man, I loved that movie. I know, right? No one talks about it, but like, it was Grease without the music. Yeah. Like, uh, I think uh, Rocky was in it too. Like a lot of good uh, actors, they were like young and shit in that. I just remember uh, Bob. Yeah. He's also, uh, he also makes an appearance in the Netflix sequel, That 90s Show. Yeah, that's Bob. Hater, hider, holder. Uh, he also played Nikki the Nose in Star Trek First Contact and appeared in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Yeah. He was in Shameless, and he was in the Matthew Perry reboot of The Odd Couple. Yeah. Robin Curtis as Leslie. She was a very busy character actor in the 80s and 90s. She replaced Kirstie Alley as Lieutenant Savick in Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock and Star oh, Trek yeah. Four: The Voyage Home. Nice. She also appeared in two episodes during season seven of Star Trek The Next Generation and an episode of Babylon 5. Nice. and eh. (laughs) I liked Babylon 5. It was an interesting story. And there was a lot of good characters in there and shit. Yeah. But like, I'd rather watch uh, Deep Space Nine. Yeah, definitely. It's just me. Yeah, I know. Garrett Morris as Clayton. We first talked about him when we watched him as Chocolate Chip Charlie in the 1985 horror comedy The Stuff, way back in episode number eight. Wait a second, Mike. Yeah. It's Chocolate Chip Charlie. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I love Chocolate Chip Charlie. I love Garrett Morris. He was great. Uh, yeah, I love Garrett Morris, too. He was part of the 
In the 1970s, he was part of the Not Ready for Primetime Players, the original Saturday Night Live cast. In the 80s, he was in the primetime dra- crime drama Hunter. In the 90s, he was on the Jamie Foxx show. And then in the 20-teens, he appeared as Earl in Two Broke Girls. Most recently, he appeared in an episode of How I Met Your Father. Wow. He's still working. Oh, He's yeah. still working. He's a shit, man. I, I, I love his shit in, like, B-movies. Yep. I mean, I know he was in, like, Hard Times and shit, but, like, anytime he's on the screen is great. It is. It is. So is this next guy, my favorite clown, Clint Howard as Deputy Hinckley. Oh, my God. I miss Clint Howard. That guy is so cool. <laughs> you don't even know. I've, I've seen all his shit. We first talked about Clint Howard in The Wraith, episode 30. Hell, yeah. Also known for the Austin Powers franchise, The Waterboy, and Little Nicky. He played Creepy Rodney in My Name is Earl. He appeared in Star Trek The Original Series, Star Trek Enterprise, Star Trek Discovery, and Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Yeah, old Clint Howard, man. He is something else. I even like him when he does horror movies, man. Ice Cream Man. That shit yeah. he did with Rob Zombie. All that shit. I love Clint Howard. Anytime he's on the great. Ed Begley Jr. is Ebner Frost. We talked about him in episode 48, Meet the Applegates. Fucking A, man. I love that movie. That is a fun movie. He was in the short film Clint Howard Reboots Pippi Longstocking with Mila Jovovich and Fred Willard. Mila Jovovich and Fred Mila Willard? Jo- yeah, Mila Jovovich. Yeah, there we go. IMDb lists 341 film and TV credits from 1967 to present. That's 235 more than Kevin Bacon. Suck it, Kevin Bacon. Yeah, man. Also, he was the drummer in fucking uh, Spinal Tap for like a second before he died. Yeah. He was in Star Trek Voyager, My Three Sons, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. He was a flight sergeant Green Bean in the original Battlestar Galactica, a.k.a. the good Battlestar Galactica. Eh, they both had good and bad. <laughs> I liked the, the new one. I really dug it. I was into it big time until like the last half of the series. Yeah. But yeah, now being like a little kid, I still got the bed sheets, man. Yeah. He was in St. Elsewhere, Columbo, Third Rock from the Sun, Kingdom Hospital, Three Feet Under, CSI Miami, Portlandia, Arrested Development, Young Sheldon, and Better Call Saul. Plus, he's got voice credits in Captain Planet, Batman the Animated Series, Scooby-Doo and Scrappy-Doo. Fucking Ed Bagley Jr. You take yes. a shot every time you see him in something, you know. You'll never be sober again. No, because he's in everything. <laughs> Mila Kunis is Sarah, best known from that 70s show, also appears in that 90s show. Get in the van, Jackie. She's also played parts on Walker, Texas Ranger, 7th Heaven, and she's the voice of Meg Griffin on The Family Guy and all of the related video games and spinoffs. Also appeared in Black Swan and Forgetting Sarah Marshall. And uh, American Psycho 2. Yes. <laughs> Which, man, that's a terrible movie, but it's funny. <laughs> it's not a horror movie at all. This guy caught me by surprise. Steve Valentine is Dr. Blight. Oh, God, yeah. The now nerd. This, the same year he made this thing, he was also in Mars Attacks. As a nerd. Yeah. Oh, man, I love that movie. <laughs> he appeared in Monster High the movie and Monster High 2. 
and a bunch of early 2000s sitcoms, including The Gina Davis Show, The Hughleys, Dharma and Greg, and Just Shoot Me. And he's also a very prolific video game voice actor. Oh, yeah. He was the voice of Alistair in all of the Dragon Age games and the voice of Harry Flynn in the Uncharted franchise. Nice. I just remember seeing him in like movies and TV as like a scientist or a nerd or a doctor. Right. He always had like a lab, like a guy, like guy looks like he comes with his own lab coat. Right. Doctor. I Great think he guy. does. I think he does. Yeah. And finally, Aria Nicole Curzon as Elizabeth. She's a child actor turned voice actor. She was the voice of Ducky throughout the entire Land Before Time franchise, which was like, what, 14, 15 movies? Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know, because, like, that, that's a whole fucking thing, because that thing went on for, like, 14, 15 movies, but, like, they kept on getting shittier in quality. And Well, yeah. It's like they were trying to make Fern Gully with dinosaurs. <laughs> so the movie opens up with a shot of a big house and a little girl reading her letter to Santa Claus. She is telling Santa about a really bad man named Ebner Frost. He has really weird people working for him, and they're planning to do something really bad this Christmas. Uh, mounted all over the property are what look like paint cans that shoot steam into the air. Turns out Ebner Frost is a germaphobe, and he's got turrets all over his property spraying disinfectant into the air. Ew. Yeah. The whole he's... place smells like frail. It does. And Lysol. Ugh. Then we get a title card reminiscent of the cartoon Christmas specials. Yeah, it did look like the Misfit Elf one. Yeah. Very reminiscent. As the opening credits roll over a shot of an animatronic Santa in the bell tower, the girl continues to read her letter, stating that she doesn't want anything for herself this year. She wants Santa to help her friends. People are leaving town left and right because Mr. Frost is being so mean to them. And now he's trying to take the orphanage away from him. And as she continues her letter, somebody in an ice cream truck steals the orphanage's Christmas tree. <laughs> Just tie a rope to it and drive off dragging it behind the truck. Like it was an ATM or some shit. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it's like, all right, so it's Christmas in California, so we'll just get that away. So nothing right. looks like. Yeah, it looks it, like July. It probably is July. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, so it's, but you get this sweet, like, oh, the, the music's swelling and shit. There's like a bunch of stringed instruments because it's a Christmas movie. And yeah, it's like panning down is so damn generic. Yeah. You know, it's such like, it's like those fucking cookies that you see in Christmas, you know, with the little glitter on them and shit. Yep. It's that shit. And this orphanage could be literally any church in Santa Barbara. It is. Is it's every church in Santa Barbara. <laughs> well, as she finishes her letter, Blake Thorne is sneaking through the bushes in camouflage fatigues as armed guards patrol outside a mansion. He takes one takes out one machete wielding guard and tells him to never stop and smell the roses. That's one of Blake's <laughs> rules, by the way. On the patio, he tries to steal a gold jewelry box and is attacked. By a series of comic martial artists, yeah, easily overpowers. Lots of one's screaming. Like a, one's like a chef. Yeah, he comes out with like a spatula and the fucking hat on and shit. Right. And then the other guy's like the other guy that he killed by the rose bush. And then like a driver comes out. Right. It's retarded. 
The chauffeur is wielding a lug wrench. After he takes him out, there's a gardener with a, a rake and a landscaper with a weed eater. After he takes out the groundskeeper with the weed eater, uh, with the weed eater by throwing a silver platter at him frisbee style, of course. <laughs> That's when the kitchen staff attacks. And finally, they have him surrounded and he surrenders. This was all a training exercise, and he's upset that it wasn't more difficult. And because it wasn't more difficult, they're not getting a Christmas bonus. Dun, dun, dun. Then we proceed to a table filled with Blake Thorne's signature line of dietary supplements. He wants his picture to be bigger on the can. And he gets a phone call letting him know that his guests have arrived. <laughs> now, the dialogue about Blake's rules is absolutely ridiculous. He quizzes the staff on his rules as he's loading a paintball gun. At the door is a charity asking for money. He suggests sending them carbohydrate bars instead and heads into the yard to play paintball with his friends. And that's when he just, he turns his head to the side, nose up, and says, let's roll. Oh, my God. This guy's such a There's no way that, like, Hulk Hogan, I, all right. I know what they're going for. They're going for like millionaire, thrill seeker, playboy, James Bond type, right? Right, right. But it's fucking Hulk Hogan. It's Hulk Hogan. <laughs> millionaire, no playboy, thrill seeker. Yeah, well, he's not that. And terrible movie. actor. Yeah, terrible actor, definitely. <laughs> There's no way this guy's that smooth. He's not um, some fucking James Bond type. Right. I'm, I don't buy it. But I, I definitely buy him as like a rich douchebag. Absolutely, yeah. Well, they head out into the desert for their paintball games using motorcycles and a Humvee. Hidden in a gully is Deputy Hinckley playing with his radar gun, pretending to trap speeders. <laughs> That's when the motorcyclists appear and they kind of jump over the ditch. And I think they hit the hood of his car as they go. <laughs> oh, yeah, most definitely. He calls for backup. This must be a terrorist militia. And we get the first car chase of the movie. Don't worry, there'll be plenty more. <laughs> they are not going to pull over because of Blake's rule, never surrender. Instead, he shoots the deputy's windshield with his paint gun, and they pass a sign that says, North Pole, five miles ahead. That's, uh, that's like attempted murder, Mike. It is. You can't shoot a paintball in traffic. You can't, especially like a cop car. What is he thinking? Right. Only the cops I mean, can shoot rich. you in traffic in Los Angeles. That's fucked up. <laughs> well, they head to the Lakeville Mall as the deputy shoots the eyes out of the Santa sign. <laughs> He's got a shotgun and he blows two perfectly size, perfectly round holes out of the sign. In the mall, children are lined up waiting for Santa, who is a no-show. The car chase approaches the mall and Blake decides he's going to bail out of his Humvee and jog toward the mall. Inside, the kids are getting restless and chanting for Santa. They're lined up up the stairs and along the balcony. A mall supervisor arrives and offers the elves $50 to whoever delivers Santa. <laughs> the, the elves are playing poker, all of them except for Lenny, who is on the phone trying to stall somebody who owes he owes money to. So he hears about this 50 bucks, and all right, I got you. Turns out he owes money to Dr. Blight, and we see Dr. Blight recording a voice memo to seek payment from Lenny or cause mass hemorrhaging. 
Dr. Blight is always talking into his little tape recorder. Yeah. Always. And in Ebner Frost's backyard, he has a man hanging upside down by his ankles. And Ebner Frost is so afraid of germs, he has all the topiary shrubs in his yard wrapped in plastic. <laughs> Ebner Frost appears on a TV screen in front of Mr. Rapini. That's the guy who is uh, hanging upside down. He's trying to get Mr. Rapini to sell him his shoe store. Mr. Rapini is played by Eddie Dono. He is a stuntman who was the stunt coordinator on Invaders from Mars. That's our episode 45. And The Hitcher. He nice. was also a stuntman on Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, Star Trek III, The Search for Spock, Star Trek First Contact, Blues Brothers, Beverly Hills Cop, The Live and Die in L.A. Damn. He's worked a lot. Hell yeah. Well, Rapini isn't going to sell, so Frost introduces his scientists who have been kicked out of some of the finest universities in the world. Oh, God, this crew. Enter the cartoon villains. Oh, man. The geologist, Mr. Flint. The Canadian chemist, Mr. Vile. <laughs> Vile is wearing a bandolier of test tubes and sprays a green gas in Rapini's face. He says it's methane gas. And he thinks the odorless, colorless methane gas is nature's perfume. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's odorless. That guy's got a fart gun. <laughs> and he's terrorizing <laughs> everybody with it. He does. And he finally... Looks like he looks like a guy with a fart gun, man. The he definitely does. Good. And finally, Ms. Watt, who wears electrified gloves and causes the rose she is holding to explode. <laughs> I love her. <laughs> she's like old... something out of sonic the hedgehog oh yeah like <laughs> the bad guys on gi joe they're like over the top you know and it's like there's no way in real life that would happen but on a cartoon everybody's got to specialize you know you got you got the ninja you got the guy with the fart gun and then you got the guy with the alligator face and yeah you know yeah the guy with the fart gun has got buck teeth yeah he looks crazy it looks like a, a gopher with a fart gun <laughs> well frost turns him loose on rapini meanwhile blake thorne is running from the police when he considers which he considers just another part of his paintball game he is sneaking through the backstage portion of the mall and he passes a rack of clothing it's elf costumes and a santa costume so he decides to disguise himself and he grabs the santa suit and ducks into a closet and when he comes out of the closet dressed as santa Standing right in front of him is Deputy Hinckley and his partner. Dun, dun, dun. They are completely fooled by this costume until Santa Claus walks away and meets a kid and his dad. The kid is excited <laughs> to see Santa, but Santa's an asshole and tells the kid to fax him the Christmas list before shoving the dad out of his way and walking down the hall. That's when, <laughs> that's when Hinckley notices the leg of Thorne's camouflage pants sticking out from under the Santa coat, and the chase is on again. Thorne manages to lose him in a long hallway. Hinckley and his partner are debating whether Thorne escaped into the AC ducts 20 feet overhead or under the concrete floor. The when... whole time, like, the door to the trash thing is open and they're standing right by it. And his fingers are sticking out of it. Yeah, it's like, oh, oh, man. And there's like a guy dumping trash, so there's like trash coming out. 
Yeah, there's like a guy the up above. up a level dumping trash into the trash chute, and and Thorn is is hanging inside there. Uh, he even dumps a life size bust of Santa, which hits Thorn, dislodging him, causing him to fall all the way down the chute, where he lands unconscious at Lenny's feet. Lenny decides to check Santa's pocket, and he finds his wallet full of money and credit cards. And a driver's license that explains that this is Blake Thorne, the richest man in 10 states. It says that on his license. Too. It does say that. <laughs> First name, Blake Thorne. Last name, the richest man in 10 states. And he's supposed to be loaded and stuff. But yeah, he's got like a bunch of credit cards and it, it was like $250 in cash. Well, see, now that's more believable now than it was then because, I mean, when's I, I don't use cash yeah, anymore. No, the price of the cheeseburger is two hundred fifty dollars, but right. yeah, back then it's like, how's that guy the richest guy in the world? <laughs> He's about to leave with the wallet when Thorn comes to and sees Lenny. The kids can be heard, heard chanting for Santa in the background. It turns out Thorn can't remember anything. He can't remember who he is. He can't remember what he was doing. So Lenny convinces Thorn that he's Santa Claus, and he was on his way to visit the kids. Oh, cool. I bet he gets that hundred ducks from the uh, mall manager now. I bet he does. Well, Lenny takes Santa to the elf house and then out into the crowd of excited kids. Uh, Thorn starts playing Santa Claus with the kids as Lenny sorts through the wallet and collects his 50 bucks from the mall supervisor. <laughs> and we get a montage of horrible kids. Oh, man. Yeah. The last one just snatches his hat off. <laughs> and this was back when Hulk Hogan had hair, so it shows his blonde hair. Oh no, that's <laughs> not hair. Uh, this was when he had that short toupee. Okay, it, like he looks better with like you know the the skullet, I think, like just bald right. on top and like hair on the lawns. But no, yeah, he he actually did get like uh like a a, a toupee, and because he wears he's got the same hairdo in uh. Uh, what's that one we were just talking about? Uh, Three Ninjas at Mega Mountain is the same exact like wig. Okay, that makes sense then. But the rest <laughs> of the shit, he's, he's got his regular hair and like a fucking uh, bandana on. Right. It's like hair plugs or something. But yeah, a little badass kids. <laughs> at the ATM, Lenny is trying to withdraw money from Thorne's account, but the ATM requires the thumbprint for authentication. Damn. All right. It's a serious ATM. Yeah, no. Shit. When I go to at the gas station, I don't even want my pen number anymore. I just want to charge no. me money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How much do you want? $20. That'll cost you $47.50. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'll just use it at the register, man. That's cool. <laughs> Meanwhile, two young crooks are trying to steal a giant fishbowl full of change and small bills, which they promptly drop and shatter. And that attracts no attention except for one small kid. Uh, the little girl sees him, and she calls for Santa, and Thorn is in Santa Claus to the rescue mode. He accosts the crooks, telling them that they have been very naughty. <laughs> and we get a good fight scene again, with Santa beating up the two crooks and reminding them it pays to be nice. <laughs> Then the kids rush in to help Santa Claus clean up the mess from the fight. Thorne, while he's doing this, sees a sign for to help save the children's mission, and he wants to go there right now and help them out. He doesn't know why, he just wants to go. 
So he starts to leave and a long line of ch shouting children and cheering parents follow along. It's kind of weird because they just walk out of the mall and parents are just jumping up and down, waving their hands for no reason. Oh, God, yeah, no, there's this one guy in the back that looks like he's like having a seizure while having locked jaw. Yeah, he's like Buddy the Elf when the mall Santa showed up. His mouth's like really wide open. And he's like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> and he's just like shaking his hands in the background. Yeah. Still, yeah. They're supposed to be all cheering him and shit, but like they're still like just randomly talking, like having a conversation while there's yeah. a group of kids screaming. Yeah. And it's like all ADR and shit. Outside the mall, Thorne asks if, if he's Santa, where's his sleigh? And Lenny explains that his sleigh's out getting new brakes. And Rudolph has a stomach thing, but it's okay because he's got something better. A Vespa scooter. I love Lenny's performance in this fucking movie. <laughs> he's the best I, actor in the movie. Yeah, everybody like remembers him as Bob, you know, as seven show. Most of our artists probably best. But yeah, like this guy can play a really slimy grease ball when he needs to. Right. Like he's really like just the devil. Any elf costume. He's got he's like the only elf in a leather jacket. Right. You know? <laughs> he's, he's <laughs> well, Santa and Lenny ride off double on a Vespa scooter because that's the way you do it when you're in Southern California. Back to Ebner Frost and Dr. Blight. Why are these people named like Sonic Sonic the Hedgehog characters? <laughs> Probably because you know, the guys who were writing the shit were playing Sonic the Hedgehog when they were writing the shit. Probably. They're probably like, yeah, high school students or something. Well, outside, the three scientists are swinging Mr. Rapini around like a tetherball, and he's shouting over and over that he'll sell his business to Frost. Frost tells Rapini to be moved out of his storefront by Christmas. Then he pulls out his giant round supervillain map of the city as a video screen, and he X's off another plot. The last property he needs to finish up his Monopoly, McDonald's Monopoly board, is the orphanage. <laughs> and he instructs Dr. Blight to take the scientists there next. Interestingly enough, that's where Lenny and Blake Thorne are on their way to. They get there on the Vespa, just as Dr. Blight and the mad scientists arrive in their ice cream truck. <laughs> I think it's awesome. They drive around in an ice cream truck. The perfect disguise for mad mad scientist supervillains. Oh yeah, I think they issue everybody an ice cream truck at the Mad Scientist Academy. <laughs> Doctor Blight walks up to the door and he knocks on the door with his little can of banaca and then shoots it in his mouth. <laughs> he does a da 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 da. Douchebag. <laughs> He's here to see Leslie about her relocation plans, and Blight is super creepy as the henchmen all watch over his shoulder, Three Stooges style. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's when Lenny and Thorne arrive as the scientists have tied the ice cream truck to a statue in front of the orphanage, and they drag it away, breaking off the head in the process. Now, that's a church. So it's usually a statue of a priest out front. Yeah, no, it's like some colonial guy. Pretty douchey. Yeah. No, I, the statue's obviously fake, you know? Right, right. But yeah, it looks like Christopher Columbus or something. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, that's fine then. 
Well, the kids have all run out into the yard to see what's going on as as Clayton, played by Garrett Morris, runs out into the street yelling at the scientists. They try to run him down, but the truck stops at the last minute because Blake Thorne, still dressed as Santa Claus, has grabbed the chain that's tied to the back of the truck, and he has stopped the truck all by himself. Yeah, Garrett Morris's face when he does that. Oh, God, no. And like... <laughs> He thinks he's gonna die, but then there's like a pause, and you're like, yeah. "Oh!" And then yeah. he looks, and then they all the camera, of course, pans the Hulk Hogan with the chain, which that's that's a cool shot. I like that shot. Yeah, yeah, that's like some uh, Hercules in New York type shit. Well, after the ice cream truck drives off, the kids all gather around, and Clayton asks uh, his name. Thorne says they can call him Santa. Leslie invites him to dinner, and they all head inside the orphanage. Santa sits down next to Elizabeth. She thinks he's there because of the letter she wrote. And then we introduce the other kids, Sarah, played by Mila Kunis, and Taylor, who is played by Adam Wiley. This Man, guy used to be big. Yeah, this guy has been on Home Improvement, Seinfeld, Boy Meets World, Children of the Corn 5, Fields of Terror. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember, like, he was on show... Some show on CBS, and it was pretty big. It was like one of those really family-centric shows, you know. And I remember that show. That show was like on forever. I didn't watch it, but I remember like my dad watching it and shit. And he was also a, a voice actor playing characters on Hey Arnold, Legion of Superheroes, and Captain Jake and the Neverland Pirates. I've only heard of one of those. Those got to be like all shit straight to video <laughs> movies and TV shows. Well, Leslie runs the orphanage and Clayton is the maintenance man. Elizabeth brings Santa Claus cookies and milk. And Blake is kind of a health nut, but Lenny kind of shuts him up and just shoves the cookies and, and milk in his face. <laughs> yeah, take the damn cookies, man. If the kids give you the cookies, you eat them, all right? Yeah. I don't hear this thing with the vitamins. Stop. Is this low fat? Just drink it. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, your, your bottom lip's going to be low fat if you don't eat the cookies, all right? I'm telling you. Yep. <laughs> you sound like you've heard this conversation before, Jesse. Well, I've had, you know, handle no. people that are uh, amnesiacs before, I know. Yeah, hey, there we go. Yeah, you need some soup or something in you because you're, you're not thinking right. Well, then it's time for dinner, and it is jerk chicken night. They Hell invite, yeah. <laughs> <they> <laughs> I want to go to the orphanage if they got jerk chicken night. Man, I can't even get jerk chicken night in my house. <laughs> they, the orphanage has it like weekly. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Well, they California. invite Santa and Lenny to stay at the orphanage. They've got plenty of room since they found homes for all but the last three kids. And Lenny is stuffing rolls into every pocket in his in his costume. <laughs> no, I have been there. I have done that. I did that actually. <laughs> Thanksgiving. Nah. It's Thanksgiving. That's when you carry start carrying a purse for no reason. There's a reason. Jackets, There's man. a reason. <laughs> yeah, I wear two jackets. That's got like there six you go. I'm rolled up. <laughs> After a shower and a change, Thorne is wearing a robe from one of the three wise men, and Lenny is wearing a sheep onesie with a squeaky tail. <laughs> <laughs> Thorne is looking at himself in the mirror trying to figure out who the hell he really is, and they climb into kids' bunk beds and go to sleep. Next morning, Santa made the front page of the paper. Thorne walks out to breakfast, and the kids see Santa without his beard. He says that uh, 
Mrs. Claus says it tickles, so he only wears it for making deliveries. <laughs> yeah, he's like in a bathrobe and like yeah. a wife. Uh, what's his name is still dressed as a sheep at the breakfast yes, table. He is because if you got the opportunity to wear a sheep onesie, why wouldn't you? I don't know. I just I think onesies like you're like oh this is stupid and shit and you put it on it's like oh that's kind of comfortable. I don't exactly. care. I look like I don't care. I look like a big pink art bark. I, I kind of <laughs> my feet it. are warm. That's all that matters. Yeah. <laughs> so he yeah like you said he's wearing like a bathrobe and a and a wife beater t shirt and these people don't recognize him as the richest man in ten states. But Even Les- nobody got like Leslie like a- thinks he looks kind of familiar. And that's when we see there's a box of Blake's Way Power Crisps on the table with his picture <laughs> on the front of it, which Lenny tries to hide immediately by sprinkling Rice Krispies all over his sausage and eggs and then folding the box up into a little bitty ball, reminding the kids that the responsible thing to do is to recycle. <laughs> <laughs> that's when Lenny sees... Thorn picking up his milk glass to take a big drink and gets the idea that he can steal Thorn's thumbprint off of that glass. <laughs> that smile he does is like this guy. This and, and the voiceover is the voice of the ATM saying, Welcome, Lenny, to your chance to withdraw one gajillion dollars. <laughs> yeah, no. Big ass smile. It, 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 that whole thing is like slow-mo. Yeah. So it's like you really get to, oh, God, that's a great scene. So Lenny is going to offer to help with the dishes as a cover for stealing this glass. Later, Elizabeth is explaining the Santa rules to Thorn. It's a set of guidelines for basically being a good person. <laughs> That's when Sarah comes in. She has finished repairing Santa's suit after it all got ripped up in his various fights because, well, Santa's got a little trailer park in him, I guess. He's got muscles. Okay. <laughs> uh, she's made some alterations, by the way. She uh, took the sleeves off to reveal the 24-inch Christmas pythons. <laughs> And added a utility belt for Super Santa. He, she sewed a fanny pack on. Yes. <laughs> so it's Santa with no sleeves, Jack with a spray tan with a fanny pack. <laughs> she said she learned how to do this from issue 96 of the Mega Man comic book. It's, That's a lot. It's okay to know that there were only 55 issues of the Mega Man comic book. Unlike Mega Man comics, this is a work of fiction. <laughs> yeah, Mega Man comics, that, that really happened. <laughs> I died from that Snake Man low. <laughs> Reporters show up in the door to interview the Santa with muscles. They do the interview outside the orphanage. Lenny is off screen urging Thorn to flex for the camera. <laughs> do the thing. <laughs> you know, when you laugh, your little things there go bumpy, bumpy, bumpy. Thorn is camera shy and gives a very bashful interview with Lenny coaching him from off off camera. Ebner Frost and Dr. Blight are watching the interview and Frost he kind of thinks he recognizes Santa Claus. It's fucking Hulk Hogan, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Cut to Lenny at the ATM again. He puts the card in. It asks for a thumbprint. He scans the thumbprint. From the milk glass. And the ATM says, I'm sorry, Mr. Thorne. That's your right 
thumb. I need your left thumbprint. All right, this ATM's about to get it. That ACM's an asshole. It totally recognizes Blake Thorne's thumb, but won't thumb. accept it because it's the wrong one. Yeah. I like, okay, so you know your username and your password, and you picked all the pictures that have streetlights in them, but I need you to give me the code that I'm going to text to you right now. In the background, the ice cream truck drives past, and as Lenny's about to walk away, Dr. Blight walks up. Mr. Frost wants to talk to Lenny, and they grab him and throw him into the ice cream truck and drive away. In the ice cream truck, Mr. Frost is on a small TV because as a germaphobe, he does not leave his house ever. Also allows for him to film all his parts. That way he doesn't have to be physically there on set. Right. Because I'm Ed Begley Jr. Ed Begley Jr. was there for one day, and then they were done. Yeah, he was like, I gotta go save the planet. I'm Ed Begley Jr. Peace out. So since Lenny owes Frost some money, Frost is going to call in a favor. He wants Lenny to get rid of Santa so that Frost can take over the orphanage. So here we go. Here's our redeemable bad guy. Yeah, it's going to be the whole Judas thing. Yep. Well, back at the orphanage, Lenny says it's time to go, but Thorne is not leaving. Uh, they still need him. In the church, Elizabeth is singing a song she remembers her mother singing. It's her version of a prayer. And if she sings it just right, she can wake up the fairies in the windows, she says. Man. Apparently, there are magic lights that appear in the church window when you hit a specific note when you're singing. So Thorne sings the song with Elizabeth. And when she hits the high note, magical lights dance across the church window. It's kind of like the light goes dark outside and a couple people flash flashlights across the the window. Yeah. Or I don't know. It's not a particularly good effect, but it is an effect. Well, that night they are decorating a Christmas tree. Clayton tells Thorne he's proud of him for finally making something of himself. That seems oddly out of place. Then the evil scientists throw the statue head through the window with a note attached to it. It's a Christmas card that says there's only one shopping day left till Christmas. Man, advertisers are getting out of hand. They are. They <laughs> have Black Friday sales. <laughs> well, Thorne is going outside to deal with Blight, and he tells the kids to keep the milk and cookies warm. <laughs> uh, Thorne and Blight face off on the sidewalk. Thorne with his Santa fists and the 10,000 Hulkamaniacs. <laughs> and some vitamins. <laughs> and Blight swinging his stethoscope like he's Bruce Lee. <laughs> Turns out Blight is a secret ninja, but you can't keep Santa down, and he shoves Blight's tape recorder in Blight's mouth and then tosses him into the back of the ice cream truck before the scientists drive away laughing. Inside, everyone is cheering except for Taylor. Taylor is a gloomy kid. He picks up the head of the statue and disappears. That's when Thorne spots Taylor's Walkman in the grass outside, and he thinks he knows where Taylor went. So Thorne and Lenny go off after Taylor on Lenny's Vespa, of course, and they find Taylor's bike parked outside Ebner Frost's house. Men in lab coats are patrolling the lawn as giant sprayers fog the lawn with disinfectant. Uh, Lenny's a smartass and wants to know how they're supposed to get over the fence. Are we going to fly over on your reindeer? 
No, like Thorne's just going to pick him up and throw him over the fence. <laughs> and then he's going to jump over himself. Yeah, I know he's a wrestler and shit, you know, but uh, yeah, and rich guy eats vitamins and stuff, gets knocked on the head, becomes Santa Claus, gets superpowers. Yeah. Throws a, like a 290, 300 pound man over a fucking like what, 10, 11 foot tall fence. That's not happening. What is this? No, he could probably <laughs> throw him over an eight foot fence. Yeah. <laughs> well, Lenny and Thorne are sneaking across the lawn, dodging scientist patrols by covering themselves up in plastic like they're part of the topiary. And Taylor has made it all the way to Frostback Patio, and he's about to shoot out a window with his slingshot when Thorne and Lenny grab him. Taylor wants to protect everyone the same way Santa did. Frost and Blight are inside the house, so Thorne sends Lenny and Taylor back to their bikes while he investigates. Turns out Frost is planning to dig up the entire town. That's why he's been buying up all the property, and that's why he wants the orphanage. And this is where the movie starts to get weird. Oh, man. Yeah, no. Yeah, you thought it was weird all along. No, no. We're just getting there. It was weird in normal movie terms and shit. You right. know, this is where, like, this actually starts kicking off. Yep. Back at the orphanage, Thorne asks what's under the orphanage. And there's a basement and sewer and electrical lines what? and the clubhouse. What? Yeah, apparently there are catacombs beneath the orphanage that the kids have been using as a clubhouse. Because, well, you know, why wouldn't you let kids run around in old catacombs? You know, there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of reasons kids just stay out of the catacombs. I don't have to go over this. <laughs> It should be, like, self-evident. Kids don't belong in catacombs. Well... Cats belong in there. Here's the... Th <laughs> here's the thing, though. There's a big vault door down there, and the kids can be... Keep, they can keep the kids occupied by letting them try to pick the lock. What? Yeah. They've almost got it figured out. They got three of the numbers already. What the fuck? Clayton says he doesn't think that door has ever been opened in his memory. Uh, but the kids, like I said, they know three of the numbers of the combination. So they all head down there through a creepy Scooby-Doo looking cave to a big metal door that kids have all scratched their initials into over the years, including one set of initials that Blake Thorne finds vaguely familiar. It says B.T. That man, man. There, that's what I thought it was. <laughs> Close. Sound it out. Yeah. Well, the kids. Just, hold on a second. It just gets so weird that this was like some kind of weird ass uh, Save the Orphanage movie. You're like, okay, he's going to come in, you know, help them with bills, maybe help them. They're going to do a repair job, like montage. That'd be great. No, it just got like. Goonies all of a sudden, and there's catacombs. It did. And, a vault, <laughs> and there's scientists trying to get at this vault for some reason. What the you know, hell? that Goonies Christmas special that you've been waiting 35 years for? Here it is, buddy. Here it is, buddy. Yeah, no, no shit. <laughs> well, the kids show Thorne the part of the combination that they know, and that triggers a memory. And Thorne knows the last number, and he opens the door, releasing steam and flashing lights, and revealing a cavern filled with glowing crystals. Oh my god, he really is Santa Claus. Have you, are you getting the feeling that Blake Thorne has been here before? Maybe. Maybe. But 
I want to say right now that crystal under city set or whatever that that little set. Yeah, looking gorgeous. It's great. I love that. It was it, nice. It was, so it was really nice. Yeah, I liked it. I know if you turn the lights on in that, that looks like a basement somewhere with just like dirt on the floor. Right. But the way they lit it and shit and, and the purposes it served, it was great. Yeah, it was fantastic. I like that. These are what make the church windows glow. And Sarah is the nerdy kid who knows that these are piezoelectric crystals and vibrations activate them and they have an electric charge. Wow. Thank you, exposition kid. <laughs> and they must be worth millions. Taylor, in the meantime, is playing with one of these big crystals. And <laughs> she tells him, put that down. You don't know where it's been. Yeah, I do. It's been in the basement for the last 40 years. <laughs> but he does what every kid does when they're told to put down something they want to play with. He throws it on the floor and it explodes. Boom. Yeah, nah. <laughs> So they all leave the cavern. At this point, Blake Thorne starts to suspect that maybe he isn't Santa Claus. And Lenny decides to come clean. He shows Thorne the camouflage that he was wearing when Lenny found him. He lies and tells Thorne that he doesn't know who Thorne really is. But for now, the kids need Santa. So you should be Santa. And we'll figure it all out later. Yeah, and he was wearing like paramilitary paintball gear but if yeah. you're a maniac that just looks like you were a u.s soldier right it just looks like yeah yeah it's a it's an orange paintball splatter but he says look i don't know why you had blood all over you but <laughs> yeah i did yeah so he's like yeah yeah you were like some kind of military kill bot and i saved your life so <laughs> now we got to save these kids you were a terminator and i turned you good yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Hasta la vista, baby. The switch was turned to evil the whole time. You just got a quick, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> On his way back upstairs, Lenny gets a call from Frost. He wants Lenny to betray the orphanage. Upstairs, the lights are out, and Elizabeth discovers Dr. Blight in the kitchen. This kid is one of the best actors in the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because she comes out sputtering and stuttering. And the Dr. Blight gathers up Clayton and Leslie and the kids in the living room. That's when Thorne arrives and surprises Dr. Blight. And they have a, but you, I thought, moment. And we get a chase. Delana, Delana. Almost like a Benny Hill chase, except they don't yeah. speed it up. It's uh, not as cool as a Scooby-Doo chase. Because like that, they they usually like work with the set and shit, and they'll do like clever shit. Right. This one is just like they move from one spot to the another. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, that's a chase. But this place is huge, and no, they're just church, running yeah. through halls and upstairs and through halls and up more stairs. Thorn chases Blight up into the bell tower, and Blight uses a plastic candy cane as a weapon, and they fight. I hate that bell tower part because they do this thing and it was really big like in this part, like uh, late 90s, early 2000s. But it's like there's a fight scene and the yep. camera keeps on spinning around the people. Yeah. I get sick of that shit. It like, just I, makes you dizzy. I'm, yeah. And it's like, I, I know why they do it, you know, build tension and like, you know, uneasiness and they do with their job. But right. Yeah. They do that a couple of times like vertigo and then they. He's about to get him over the edge, and he's like, I don't he's think about so, to push him over the edge, and he pauses to say, Santa, 
you slay me. <laughs> Which gets him a well-deserved punch in the mouth. Yeah, no, I love that part. That was my favorite part. <laughs> was, like, that happens. It was he, the, he gets punched in the mouth, but it looks like that Santa Claus, that automated Santa Claus they have in a bell tower for some reason, uh-huh. just kind of pushes him off the fucking uh, bell tower. Yeah, so Santa makes a trademark Hulkster comeback and knocks out Dr. Blight. And as he's standing there, this animatronic Santa in the bell tower has got his arm stuck out for some reason, and it just spins all the way around, grabs Thorn by the waist, and pushes him out the window to the ground below. He is saved from certain death when he lands on a pile of trash bags in a passing garbage truck. He sees his picture on a can of Blake's Way Mass Maker and says, my picture's still not big enough. And then passes out. So it looks like Blake Thorne got his memory back in that fall. Man, I could have saved everybody a bunch of grief and just hit him in the head again. Yeah. This is Fred Flintstone one-on-one. He yep. thinks he's James Bond. You hit him in the head. He's going back to like, you know, uh, some guy that works at a rock quarry. Well, Blake Thorne wakes up in his bed covered up in a blanket. He thinks his experience at the orphanage was all a stupid dream. Then he sees he's wearing the Santa suit and freaks the fuck out. (laughs) (laughs) He gets out of the bed like when that guy found that horse head in his bed in The Godfather. Yeah, he does. (laughs) (laughs) His butler enters with a tray of breakfast and a can of air freshener since Thorne still smells like the trash he was dumped in. (laughs) It turns out the garbage man found him, recognized him, and brought him home. You know, the way garbage men do. That's fucked up. Well, his picture's on every piece of garbage in the damn movie. That's true. Thorne calls the orphanage to talk to Leslie. She is upset with Blake, it seems. But we quickly learn that the scientists have rerouted the phone lines to Ebner Frost's house and Dr. Blight, who uses his little recording uh, tape recorder to record every conversation. He's using recordings of Leslie and the angry things she said to him. To make it sound like she's pissed off at, at Blake Thorne. Dun, dun, dun. Thorne is distraught, and Frost is ready to take over the orphanage now. Meanwhile, on TV, the news reporter is telling viewers that Santa with muscles has disappeared. He hasn't been seen since yesterday. Maybe he went back to the North Pole. <laughs> and the kids are all dis- d- disappointed. Lenny's feeling bad about what he's doing. Then there's the sound of electricity arcing and the front door of the orphanage explodes, revealing the evil scientists and Dr. Dr. Blight spraying disinfectant all over the place. And Ebner Frost enters wearing a biohazard suit. And they herd everybody into the basement to the vault door. Frost wants the crystals and plans to use the children to mine them. They even brought little mining hats for him. That was so nice. The, oh, little mining hats and also uh, comically small pitchforks. They're like little rock hammers from Yeah, like, little rock like. hammers. <laughs> he wants them to help him open the vault, but Sarah tells him, Sorry, we're just kids. We don't know anything. They can't help him. And then Frost reveals that Lenny is the one that helped him get in there in the first place. Meanwhile, Thorne is at home feeling blue. He doesn't like his healthy food. He misses his milk and cookies. And he doesn't even get excited when Pierre tries to attack him. (laughs) 
man, not today. I'm just not feeling you guys. I don't know what's wrong. He always loves to punch me. <laughs> <laughs> That's when the phone rings. It's Lenny. He tells Thorne what Frost is up to, but Dr. Blight catches him. Blight and Thorne trade some threats, and Blight warns Thorne to stay away or his friends will be used in Blight's next experiment. Meanwhile, Lenny is thrown out of the orphanage. Back at his mansion, Thorne is assembling his crew to rescue the orphans. The butler gives Thorne his Santa hat, and they roll out. <laughs> Meanwhile, the crazy geologist, Dr. Flint, is trying to jackhammer through the vault door and loving it. <laughs> He's just giggling maniacally as he does it. On a desert road, Deputy Hinckley is role-playing with himself again. This time he's pretending he pulled somebody over for speeding, and he's trying to get just the right sound of toughness in his voice. <laughs> That's a good scene. That's a great scene. <laughs> That's when Thorne and his crew speed by. Hinckley still thinks they're terrorists and gives chase. Yeah, it's like last time he saw this vehicle, he got shot in the windshield and like almost died on the interstate. Right. But this time they're all decked out in black paramilitary, like blackout gear. Right. So it even looks even worse. It's like, you know, they are terrorists. I got to stop this. Yes. He is not going to, I mean, he's not going to back down. I'll give him credit for that. De Deputy Hinckley is not afraid of a fight. Well, Pierre pours, pours salad oil on the road, causing all the deputy cars to lose control and skid the way they do. Yeah, this is total, like, right out of Blues Brothers shit. Yeah, I can see where that guy, like, the, the stunt guy working yeah. on this shit. This is straight out, like, some Blues Brother, like, the end of the movie. The oil slick didn't get them all, though, so they used protein powder to create a smoke screen. <laughs> but Hinkley is not intimidated. He was in Desert Storm. He's bad. He's a heartbreaker. He spun out in the intersection. <laughs> Thorne turns the corner and encounters a roadblock and deputies have guns pointed at him Hinkley pulls up behind Thorne they've got him trapped one of the deputies gets out a rocket launcher <laughs> oh, God. it's a, uh, it's a uh, light anti-tank weapon I've fired one of these for real it's fun <laughs> fuck up that Humvee man However, what's rule 21, Jesse? Oh, God. I didn't know it was going to be a test. Uh, always bet on black? Never surrender. Damn, yeah, right. Never surrender. It was in the beginning of the movie. Why did I say... So, so Thorne <laughs> speeds towards the roadblock. The deputy fires the rocket, but Thorne turns the wheel and dodges out of the way just in time. The rocket follows, flies past and blows up Deputy Hinckley's car. <laughs> You get that small little uh, Robin Hood shot where they put like the missile in the camera and it goes yeah. straight real. That was great. That was good. Hinkley managed to dive clear of the explosion and he pops up wearing his fuzzy dice around his neck, demanding to know who shot that, who fired that, that shot. Part. Yeah, they're just tossing the tube. They're like, oh, dad, this guy did it. Nah, Brian, I remember you signed that out. That was yours. Nah, man, I ain't never seen this in my life. I'm not even trained for this. Here, you take yeah. it. Thorn and crew speed off, and the two deputies play hot potato with the rocket launcher. It was kind of awesome. Great, yeah. Well, Thorn arrives at the back door of the orphanage. They hook jumper cables to the truck's battery and to the doorknob, then knock on the door. <laughs> Should work, right? 
it worked in Home Alone. It should work here, man. It's Santa, you know, so. Well, through the peephole, one of Dr. Blight's thugs sees Pierre standing with a tray of food and says, eh, why not? He grabs the doorknob and gets zapped all the way across the room. It works. Great. It works. <laughs> Thank you, Home Alone. The crew enter the orphanage, and they split up, part of them going upstairs to find the adults, while Thorne goes downstairs to find the kids. Thorne finds the kids. Uh, they're being held in a room, and he tells them to wave at him, and Elizabeth does exactly that, and Thorne ducks out of the way. And when the guard goes to investigate, Thorne knocks him out, and Elizabeth says, You're not really Santa. And Thorne said, no, you're right, I'm not. I was just planning for a while. You're better than Santa. <laughs> so they're going to get out of here. But first, Thorne gives Taylor a fire extinguisher to use as a weapon. And Hell they yeah. are going to go rescue the rest of the folks. They surprise a scientist. It's Dr. Vile. He is tearing a hole in the wall for some reason. So Taylor shoots him with the fire extinguisher. Then they fill up his biohazard suit with gas from canisters that he's wearing. Canisters labeled stink gas. I knew it was a fart gun. It is a fart gun. It blows up his, his biohazard suit like a balloon, and then he falls out of a window. <laughs> Into a barnyard, apparently. Man, they got crystals on the church. I, nothing makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> it's Santa Claus, man. But it's Hulk Hogan. Eh, just go with it. Yeah. As they go through another room, Ms. Watt grabs Thorne, and they fight in the chapel, Highlander style. Hell yeah. Watt has help from a top-knotted muscle man, but Thorne gets ready for a crane kick and then stomps on the end of the pew, causing the far end to pop up and smack the henchman in the chin, knocking him out. <laughs> what was that you doing on those stumps over there? All crane technique. Does it work? If do right, no can defense. Watt tries to leave, but Thorne stops her. And up from the balcony, up on the balcony, Lenny dumps water on her, short-circuiting her. That was cool. They do the cartoon lightning yep. all over the body type shit. I love that. I always pop that. That was great shit. Well, Ms. Watt is down, and Lenny and Thorne are reunited. Lenny gives Thorne back his wallet. You're not going to hug me, are you? <laughs> <laughs> Thorne kicks open the door to find Leslie and Clayton unguarded. Clayton said, yeah, you could have just knocked. <laughs> Thorne introduces himself to Leslie, uh, causing Clayton to roll his eyes. Apparently, he knew who this was all along. Oh, yeah. And as they leave the room, Clayton calls Thorne back. He says that he knows that Blake Thorne is really Blake Torchevsky. What? And he grew up in this orphanage. And so did Ebner Frost. And Blake and Frost were best friends. Get out. You're just making this up. I wish it would have made more sense than we see in it in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, Leslie runs into Blight in the kitchen. The kids are watching the encounter there. She is kind of distracting him while the kids prepare to get him. They open up the door to the walk-in cooler, and Taylor sticks his leg out to trip him. He calls the kids homeless losers, and that's when she goes off on him, and she keeps pushing him backwards and backwards until finally he trips over Taylor's leg, and they lock him in the walk-in cooler. 
And you get, of course, the spot, the obligatory shot of his face pressed up against the glass. Oh, yeah. I was screaming. Ah! Then we head down to the caverns to find Frost. Thorne calls Frost Ebby, a name he hasn't heard since he was a kid. Apparently, they both have repressed memories. The geologist finally gets the door open and Frost runs into the vault and Blake follows and he, he slams the door open, smashing the geologist. Then Thorne runs through, shoving the door open, smashing the geologist. Then uh, Lenny opens the door up, lets the geologist fall down and then ties him up with duct tape. <laughs> He's going to be wrapped up in duct tape for the rest of the movie and it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Blake and Frost are sneaking through the caverns playing Catch Me If You Can, I guess. Yeah. Frost explains why he turned evil. Apparently, Blake was adopted by rich parents while Ebner had to stay in the orphanage. And it was more than he could take. Well, they break off some crystals and they have a lightsaber fight. <laughs> Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader style as the kids and Leslie watch. And they fight back and forth. Luke Skywalker gets knocked down, Darth Vader, and he drops his lightsaber down into a pit that wasn't there before. <laughs> and Darth Vader's about to cut off his hand. That's when the little kid shoots him in the back of the head with his slingshot. Hell yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is the scene lifted straight out of Star Wars. Yeah. And it's great. Well, Blake gets up and the fight continues. There are exploding crystals everywhere. Leslie unplugs Frost's air hose and Blake uses that distraction to knock his helmet off. All of a sudden, Frost is forced to breathe unsanitized air. He is defeated, but the crystals are all vibrating now and they are about to explode says the geologist wrapped up in a, in duct tape like a mummy. <laughs> mummy, yeah, no. He just like kind of hops into the room. He's like, <laughs> it's gonna blow! <laughs> all the lights start getting freaky and shit, and it looks like a damn, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> out, uh, it kind of looks like Black Sabbath concert or something. It just gets freaky in there. Like, all the lights are like, oh, kind of like at the, the Invaders from Mars, like the end of that movie. Yes, like that, you know? exactly like that. Fun. Well, they all run out. Blake is dragging Frost out with them. Lenny is dragging the duct tape geologist. And they make it out of the orphanage and onto the street just before the entire building becomes electrified and then cut to the cardboard model of it as the walls just fold up on themselves. <laughs> it becomes a void. Their home is completely destroyed. Deputy Hinckley arrives in his burned-out car. <laughs> Apparently, it still runs, and he holds him at gunpoint. That's when the reporter arrives. She is asking Hinckley how he arrested Ebner Frost and his gang. And as Hinckley stumbles over his answer, she says, forget him, heads over to question Dr. Blight. Dr. Blight was found in the freezer. He is frozen. They're wheeling him out on a hand truck. <laughs> <laughs> And they throw him into the back of the paddy wagon, along with Ms. Watt and the duct tape geologist. Then somebody drags along Dr. Vile, smelling of stink gas, and they throw him in the back of the paddy wagon and lock the door. As the paddy wagon leaves, another cop car comes by, and Ebner Frost is in the back seat, and he vows revenge as they drive him away. But 
I guess we need to figure out where the orphans are going to go now. But because, well, you know, I mean, their their orphanage just exploded. But that's okay because Blake Thorne knows a place that might be available. He has a giant mansion, but they're not going to live with him. Hell no. No, they're going to take Ebner Frost's house and they're going to live there along with Leslie and Clayton and Lenny as one big happy family. And suddenly there are a lot more orphans too. And they all gather around this telescope to watch Ebner Frost and Dr. Blight and the mad scientists all picking up trash on a chain gang. <laughs> and That's arguing over whose shit, piece man. of trash that was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Elizabeth says it's a Christmas miracle. And does she believe in Santa? No, she believes in Blake. And Blake yells, ho, 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 and tosses his Santa hat up in the air where it lands on a topiary reindeer and roll credits. Roll credit. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everybody. Happy That's New a... Year. <laughs> yeah. I tell you what, next Christmas movie. Yeah, you're going to pick that one, too. <laughs> 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 I try to go with something with less wrestlers in it. This was, I mean, this is a piece of garbage for a movie, but it's so much fun. Yeah, it's not a bad movie. It's just, it's one of those kids' movies that was just shit out right. and mess. You know, it's like, oh, no, we got to get money, 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 money. And so, right. like, it just kind of got regulated to like cable and uh, video stores. Yeah. Cable's not going to touch this. They'll just rerun, you know, a Christmas story. It's a kid's but, uh, Christmas movie. Hulk Hogan was was making movies at the time, so let's get him. And yeah, I just picked it because some of some of the uh, the little joke spots in it are great. The, they the really are. Plot line was superb. I love that shit. The characters are you know hit or miss. The but, Star like, Wars the, Easter egg was some of the best cinematography in the movie. Yeah, that shit was like like someone filmed Star Wars in their basement. <laughs> <laughs> I bet they did. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, no. All right, man, I think that's a podcast. Oh, yeah, man. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We had a lot of fun making it. Be sure to subscribe and leave a rating wherever you hear us. You can follow CDF Pod on Facebook and Instagram or at CDF underscore pod on Twitter. You can also visit our website at CDFPod.com. And don't forget you can help us make donations to film schools all across the country by going to Patreon.com slash CDFPod. Join us next time as we explore another movie's so awesome it probably shouldn't have been made.